Hello, and welcome to the fourth season of Scene to Song, a musical theater podcast for people who love to discuss, critique, and celebrate musicals as a literary art form. I'm your host, Shoshana Greenberg, and each episode, I'll bring on a guest to talk about a musical, musical theater writer, or a topic or trend in musical theater. We don't have a guest this week, so I'm doing a mini episode. I'll be sharing some outtakes from the past couple seasons, and at some point there will be two weeks in a row with a regular episode. And since I have you here, I also want to remind you that in December, we'll once again be doing a live season finale with some of the season four guests. Please send in your questions and comments about episodes from season four, or just musical theater in general, to scenetosong at gmail.com. We'll read them and discuss. Or you can call in live. Thank you to everyone for listening. I really enjoy making this podcast, and I'm glad others are enjoying it as well. I run Scene to Song on my own, and the main way it finds new listeners is from your recommending and sharing the podcast. So thank you for your reviews, ratings, and spreading the word about Scene to Song. We'll get started, as usual, with some get-to-know-our-guest questions that you didn't get to hear. Starting with these from Season 4 guest Rob Hartman from the episode about Merrily We Roll Along. Uh, what older or classic show did you recently see for the first time and what was your experience with it? So um, we'll stretch recently, I think, to like yeah. four years. Um, so uh, a show that was running um, in London, which was right towards the end of the time that I was living and working there, was Half a Sixpence, which I had heard about. It was a you know very big um, British hit in the 60s, I believe. Tommy Steele. And it was one of those shows you'd always heard about, but had never seen. And it, you know, was more well known there. So they had done a big revival of it. Cameron McIntosh had done a revival and um, they did a reworking of the book and they brought in Styles and Drew to write some new songs. And one thing it was, um, you know, it was really interesting all the time that I was there. I, was, I lived there for about two and a half years and really sort of understanding um, the the sort of deep differences between the American tradition and the British tradition, and um, that this was something which had been, you know, really had a direct line all the way back to British musical um, traditions, and very much a certain kind of um, plucky lad makes good, but in a different way than an American story. You know, the rags to riches story is, you know, very, you know, it's very American in a certain way, but there was a it was interesting looking at it. I ended up seeing it twice, once in previews and then again later. And about how it took that very iconic story of, you know, poor lad meets meets rich girl. And then, you know, there's the hometown girl who he eventually returns to. And it was just interesting to see how they kind of embodied their own kind of, you know, version of that story. Uh, what is your favorite musical that no one else has heard of? So here's a musical which um, it's one of those things like the people who know it really love it. And it's uh, Lizzie, the musical, um, which is so uh, the job that I have now at the, um, the theater in Denmark, the first uh, uh, work I did for them was working on this uh, production. They brought it to London. And that's when I had first encountered it. And there have been a lot of Lizzie Borden musicals. I've seen like three or four. And but this one absolutely mesmerizing from start to finish 
um, Eden Espinosa was in this production. It's a four, it's a, it's a, um, written for four performers, four women. And it's, I absolutely was just mesmerized. It still am love it completely. Mm. And, uh, there was a moment when it was about to come to Off-Broadway, which didn't happen for a lot of reasons, but I feel absolutely confident that it will. It's been done everywhere. You know, um, the writers are amazing. Uh, Stephen Cheslick Meyer, Tim Matter, uh, Alan Stevens Hewitt, they just made something which is, it's true rock music. It's not like theater rock, it's true rock. And it just gets to this really deep place. I can't say enough good things about it. So everyone should look it up, lizzythemusical.com. And now the question of who is your favorite villain, answered by recent season four guest Robert Lee from the episode on artist characters. I was sad to cut this interesting segment. I learned so much, but I'm glad you get to hear it now. The mayoress in Anyone Can Whistle, Cora mm-hmm. uh, Hoover Hooper. Um, I have sort of a problematic relationship with that character. I love that character. I, I love... I, I love how uh, completely um, uh, self-involved she is, and I love how ambitious she is. Um, I think it's a fun part. I think the songs are amazing. Um, the thing that I find as I've gotten older a little problematic is that when when I was younger, I and I first encountered anyone can whistle. I just thought, oh, she has these great show-stopping, you know, nightclub type numbers. And I thought that was amazing. And then as I got older and as I began to realize um, that they were Kay Thompson pastiches and I started to understand who Kay Thompson was. Um, and for people who don't know who Kay Thompson was, um, she's this amazing, amazing figure. Um, a lot of people know her as the um, the author of the Eloise books. Um, and, uh, and she was this incredible nightclub performer. I just read this recently that she was apparently the first nightclub performer to break like a million dollars in terms of um, her earnings in a year. Um, And uh, she's, uh, I think most people have only seen that I know have only, they only know her from um, either Eloise or from the part that she plays in Funny Face. She plays the, um, uh, the, uh, the editor of the, uh, the magazine. Um, And she's incredible in that movie. Um, but the other thing that I think is amazing about her is that the sound that so much, so many of us associate with MGM musicals, you know, that the, not only the big kind of choral sound of the, of the um, um, vocal arrangements, um, but also just in the, the orchestrations. I mean, the, the harmonies and things that you hear in, in a lot of these um, MGM musicals, that the sound is really hers. Hmm. She's one of the great arrangers and vocal arrangers um, of that period. Um, and so she's just this amazing multi-talented figure. And, and I guess the thing that's complicated is looking at anyone can whistle and realizing that this character who is corrupt, you know, powerful, but corrupt and, and all these sort of things that, um, that she's singing Kay Thompson pastiches is, you know, is a little problematic for me because I've come today in, in, um, 2021 to think of Kay Thompson as a, a real figure of of power in the most positive way right that she was this incredibly empowered person um in her day so um but i guess that's what happens to 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 all pieces that in some way deal with um contemporary pop culture references right that they mean something at one time 
um, or they have a certain kind of resonance at one time and it and it's not particularly problematic and then and then the decades pass and all of a sudden you're looking at this and thinking "Ooh, what am i supposed to make of this and now we'll end these get to know our guest questions with the question about complex emotional states a question i first posed on facebook and twitter years before scene to song started and i'm glad i get to ask it to everyone now people always have such interesting answers and now we'll hear from both season three guest Jason Purdy from the episode about horror musicals and season three guest Heath Saunders from the episode about the everyman. What is a moment in a musical that you think gets to a complex emotional state you didn't think was possible to get to? I keep trying to find something that tops the last moments of Carousel, but I can never find anything mm. that tops the last moments of Carousel. Um, I really, really love that show for very, very personal reasons. Um, Mm -hmm. But I also have a very strong interest in things like Nathaniel Hawthorne's writing. And I feel like Carousel is a Hawthorne Mm. play, like a Hawthorne musical. I feel like Julie is Hester Prynne, Louise is Pearl. Although Julie's far more badass, in my opinion, than Hester Prynne. But it's... And like literally everybody in this town is terrible and everything is set against these people. Yeah. And this moment when Billy, who has been the most hopeless person for two and a half to three hours of however long they feel like cutting the show, uh, goes to tell his daughter to listen when the minister says that the world belongs to her as much as to the next fella. Uh, when he, the, that, he, and asks her to believe this thing is true that was never true for Julie and him uh, when he has he has to voice hope for his daughter it's just so loaded and it's beautiful and it's it's somehow dark like like I'm very very interested in the relationship between hope and despair in a lot of things and yeah. I think that's entirely what that show is about and that moment just kills me um and mm. i and i feel like it's so simple how hammerstein gets you there yeah and i i could not imagine constructing something more complex and yet simple at the same time i think it was mm. michael john uh Lacusa who said in class one at one point during grad school he was like uh there's a difference between complex and complicated you always want to be complex you never want to be complicated yeah and i feel like that's seems like that what is a moment in a musical that you think gets to a complex emotional state that you didn't think was possible to get to you know i i I generally think that uh no that there is there is no emotional state that is so complex that it is indescribable but also there's no description of an emotional state that is so complete that it grasps the complexity of emotion and i say this as a person who i i do not have a natural affinity for an emotion the emotional life of people including myself but largely it's like i'm really bad at reading other people and what's for me the thing that really like unlocked descriptive emotion from uh, the stage was actually shakespeare because shakespeare um because in Shakespeare, characters don't lie. Everything that a Shakespearean character says is 
true, basically. Um, and if and if it's not, if they're lying to a character on stage, they very commonly will turn to the audience and be like, I lied. <laughs> so that was like really helpful for me because I think people don't do that in life in the same way that people don't sing in life. So I think that musical theater affords, uh, it allows us to sort of, um, I would argue that in musical theater or in the musical theater that's effective to me, characters also don't lie. It's like, it's like, um, Shakespeare in that way, that characters are, when they're singing, they're all, there's the subtext isn't the thing that's important beyond what the music tells us. So I find musicals really, uh, clear. They're like, they're like very like obvious to me what's going on. And for me, it's like, it's not that there's no shock to me about that. So there's no, that's sort of part of the question that was hard that I was like, that I didn't think was possible to get to. It's like, I actually think that if you're going to try and get to a complex emotional state, the best ways to do that are going to be through a combination of text and visuals and music. And that's like, incidentally, I think that's true of basically all cohesive art or all, all sort of like multi faceted art because like films i think that's true too if you ever watch a film without the score it's like what's happening so in <laughs> so in in that from that vein it's like i i think that musicals are always going to be the most intuitive way to get at like truth as it were i'm glad i get to share this conversation about craft we often touch on craft when we talk about musicals, but we don't often discuss it directly. Season 3 guests Laura Josepher and David Sisko from the episode about contemporary musical theater got into it. And I think maybe a segue is talking a little bit about how traditional songwriting has changed mm -hmm. a little bit. I mean, there was, I mean, you went through graduate musical theater yeah. writing program and David's a, a graduate of the BMI and still a member of the BMI workshop. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there, there are ways that people are taught to write. And if you look at right. more golden age, there's really sort of was a formula, a way you put together a show. Yeah. And I think part of what's exciting to me about contemporary musical theater is that people are breaking that mm -hmm. i mean you know kind of finding new ways to tell the story and that's both the entire show structure but also song structure yeah and i guess that makes and it makes me think about just the trend not trends but what people are doing now is just bringing people who are not theater writers into write musicals and how that affects kind of the song structure some of them are probably adhering to the traditional musical theater structure more than others. Um, but I, that must also affect how, you know, how the songs are, are written also. I'm fascinated by, you know, you know, when we think of, as Laura said, the typical golden age song, mm -hmm. AABA form, right? Yeah. And then what we're seeing now is more verse chorus verse chorus bridge chorus mm -hmm. which is much more pop right? right and what that does to you know in terms of changing the the, the, the storytelling um 
and that's that's really fascinating to me and and I, i'm i'm all for i'm all for it for anything as long as it feels like the the form we uh, my collaborator tom and i always say function over form mm-hmm Right. Yeah. So that the 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 story that we want to tell dictates the form of the song. Yeah. Um. I yeah. When I was in school, we definitely had conversations about this, and um, when you're using yeah, when you're using A A B A, and when you're using verse chorus, and they both do different things. They both um deliver the dramatic moment in a different way. And when are you using one, and when are you using another? And usually. And I guess it uh, it depends what, how you want to have the characters have that moment of revelation or change or where the turning point is, how you want that to come. Because, you know, you have an AABA song, and then you know that it's going to be, you know, the B, the bridge into the final A, and how are you using that? Or are you using it in the verse chorus where the choruses are changing and every time you return to the chorus, like that's changing. Um, and I, you know, it with, sometimes I wonder, this is, you know, not the case for all, there's plenty of good people writing verse chorus songs and whatnot, but sometimes I wonder if people are using the verse chorus since that's more a pop rock song, pop rock form, are they using it in a, this theatrical way to deliver this, are they using the form to its fullest, you know, uh, sure. is, uh, is always a question I have when I'm saying like, Oh, now we're using a lot more verse chorus songs. Are they really using them? You know? Yeah. And sometimes yes. <laughs> sometimes no. Well, it's, uh, to me, it's a bigger canvas on which to paint. Mm-hmm. Right. Which is fine. If, you know, but if you're in Act Two, you know, mm-hmm. and you're heading for the barn, that may not be the right form. Right, right. You know, like, and you know, so I, I think it again, it just kind of de- depends. Yeah. Um, I think also too, it's you know, I'm, I'm sure you will understand this as a writer yourself that it. I feel like. Uh, a lot of us writers are just looking for the right answer. And I don't think that, I think there are so many different ways to get to the same place. Right. Right. And, um, and so uh, I see this in a, a lot of young writers, um, uh, young artists, just in general, they want to, they want to do it right, mm-hmm. which is lovely, but you know what? You, you don't know the path you're on until you're on it. Right. And you have to, you know, and you know, if we're saying, well, this this should really be this form. Well, look at you know, look at Strange Loop. Mm-hmm. That is, th- those forms are not what you right. <laughs> what you expect there to be. And actually, the the, the song we're going to talk about uh, in this final section is not what it's it's not what you think it's going to be. Right. right? And it is wholly satisfying dramatically. Yeah. So I think it's like that's where I it, you really have to look at what are what's the story you need to tell, um, and what is the form that what is the structure not even a form but what is the structure that's going to support right. that even if that means it's like five bar phrases mm-hmm. you know our ears even those who are not musically inclined our ears are so strong and can can understand structure 
very easily. You know, and uh, we may not know if you're not a musician, you may not know why you're not responding to something or it feels something feels off about it. But like, but we we understand structure. Yeah. As I think as a species, like it's, you know, so. um, So it doesn't have to be the 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 typical ABA as long as something is there that we know, like we're on a safe ride. They're, mm-hmm. they're, <laughs> they're, you know, right. we're, we're <laughs> on the roller coaster and there's a harness or, you know, holding us down that we're going to be okay by the, by the end of the song. Yeah. This is a short clip I was sad to cut from season four guest Janine McGuire's episode on Andrew Lloyd Webber. It also touches a bit on craft about song and dance, my favorite Andrew Lloyd Webber show. I don't know. I just tend to gravitate more toward tell me on a Sunday than unexpected song. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I'll say I love, love, love the music to unexpected song. Yeah. I think it is just you know, soaring and fantastic, but I hear you though. I mean, it really comes from unexpected songs in a moment of, of, um, you know, of really of happiness and of stasis in a sense. It's really yeah. that it's capturing, I think that moment of what it feels like to be like in love and wrapped up in that, in that feeling. And I think that, um, Maybe dramatically, I think it might be like, it may stay in one place a a little bit more. Whereas Tell Me on a Sunday, I think has um, has a little bit more sort of plot and character and situation kind of built in. Am I right in that unexpected song does not have a B section? Uh, not no, I'd say no, not a traditional B section. I think mm-hmm. just the way that, that that main part is constructed sort of has like a there's repetition and release like within it. But um, maybe there's a musical one. Lyrically, I don't I don't see like a like a a formal. Mm-hmm section and I think what you were saying about stasis um makes sense to me if it if it doesn't have a b section it's not really going anywhere and I was thinking like maybe that's why I gravitate more toward tell me on a Sunday because it does have this like really great b section that I love the don't want to know uh who's to blame Mm -hmm. uh part and um that just gives it a little bit more meat to it I guess don't want to know who's to blame it won't help knowing don't want to fight day and night bad enough you're going don't leave 
Thank you all for listening to this mini-episode of Scenes a Song. You can write to scenesasong at gmail.com with a comment or question about an episode or about musical theater. We'll answer your questions on our season finale. Please also email if you'd like to be a podcast guest. Love this podcast? Help it find more listeners by taking a moment to rate it on Apple Podcasts and leave a review. Follow us on Instagram at Scenes a Song, on Twitter at Scenesong, and on Facebook at Scene to Song with Shoshana Greenberg Podcast. The theme music you are hearing is by Julia Meinwald. And check back here in one or two weeks for our next episode. <laughs>